Welcome to edition number seven of News Talks SSE or Tristy League podcast. There's been a milestone for each of the past three weeks. Amazingly, we haven't been taken off iTunes or off the website just yet. Uh, it's only a matter of time, I suggest. But we are now level with the same number of movies that the Police Academy franchise churned out, Oshin. Seven, yeah. believe it or not. Seven. Many people stopped after four. This is our mission to Moscow. Oh, four was pl- uh, Citizens on Patrol. Correct. Great movie. Yes, it was. It was unique in the fact that it was a sequel that was as good as the original and up until 4 the sequels got better but look let me tell you this <laughs> I said that with a straight face let me tell you this it's um I hope we last longer than many of the cast and crew because I'll tell you why guy who played Tackleberry dead 15 years dead guy who played Hightower dead dead guy who played Lassard dead He's gone, yeah, Steve Guttenberg's career dead you're gonna have letters about that People are very protective. I mentioned something about Steve Guttenberg on Twitter before and somebody really took me to task over it. Like really defended him to the hilt and said, no, Guttenberg's a good man just because he's starring in like sci-fi movies. I didn't say he wasn't a good man. I'm just saying his career isn't what it was. Not even the Stonecutters who made him a star in the first place could help him out now, I think. Favourite Guttenberg movie if you had to pick one? Oh, um, Short Circuit 2. Was he in the sequel? I, oh God, I don't think he was. Um, this says a Cocoon the Return He was in that sequel God Cocoon um, I would have to say High Spirits Yeah I'm going to go for Three Men and a Little Lady Which Ooh. I think is a better movie Than the first one The first one was one of the Highest grossing comedies Of all time When it was released At the time Of its um, release It was the highest Grossing comedy of all time And I only know that Because in an interview I saw Tom Selleck Love Being Tom pushed Selleck. about his career And they were saying You know maybe you didn't Achieve the heights you should have and he said, well, I've done lots of good stuff. I mean, Three Men and a Baby was the uh, highest ranking movie of all time, comedy-wise. Who directed Three Men and a Baby, Oshin? Here's a good trivia Ivan Reitman? Uh, no. You'll be delighted to know that the person who directed Three Men and a Baby... Are you filling time while you find it on your phone? Yeah. Hello, I'm Leonard Nimoy. That's right. The late Leonard Nimoy, who's also gone. Yeah. Dead. So... Unless, of course, they go to a planet and find a regenerated version of him with that in mind could be confusing that with Star Trek 3 again though the search for Spock (laughs) give me Genesis no Star Trek 2 sorry stop getting Star Trek wrong (laughs) on the way this week Ken what's you call me (laughs) we will of course look back on events at Daily Mount Park which were savoury in the aspect of Shamrock Rover's performance on the pitch and not so savoury for what went on on the outskirts of it we'll talk to Neil O'Reardon of the Irish Sun very shortly indeed and we'll also look back on a very special day in the history of Waterford United and indeed look at where they currently stand as well WLR's Matt Keane and why they stand where they currently stand because they should when you look at it have so much in their favour they should indeed we'll talk to Matt about that very shortly indeed but first this chumfla is going to go around the league in something more than 60 seconds Gun! Macking off to McLean uh, McLean thanks about the shot 35 yards oh! More Drive 105 commentary magic as Patrick shows James he ain't the only McLean in town that his goal in the one-all draw with Longford. They followed that with a 2-0 win by the way at home to Sligo 
in the EA Sports Cup. Derry welcome Bohemians on Friday. They're just two points behind leaders Dundalk who go to Shamrock Rovers also on Friday. Now Rovers are coming off the back of a 4-0 win against Bohemians last Friday and a 3-0 win against Athlone in the League Cup. Stuart Byrne told off the ball's League of Ireland slot on Tuesday that Bowes weren't actually that bad in the game last Friday night and um, also that with three league goals this season Gary McCabe is becoming Rovers' driving force. I thought Bowes were, were, were very, very good for the first 25 minutes or so. I mean... I think there was a last a last ditch tackle by Simon Madden just denied Akinadi an open goal, and I think that would have been things would have been different from there on. But you know, I think it shows character that they that Madden was there to make that tackle. You know, so they were a bit of last ditch defending, but they found their feet then, and obviously got the goal. Um, Cape's goal kind of drove through a, a load of bodies, and it's found its way in. Um, to it, to the arm watching uh, Rover support, and you know you go into halftime and there's a sudden lift that you've gotten and a huge boost, and even going back to the meal, I think I think it speaks it speaks volumes for him because you know to to come back from Newcastle having been there for four years and having to go to Bluebell for for uh, five or six months or so it must have been you know mentally difficult for him, but I think he's stuck at it and he's he, he's it's like he's taken his opportunity at Rovers now with both hands because he's developed into this. Um, He's quickly developing into a superstar. I mean, you look at the way he's he, he's performed this year and some of the, the goals he's scored and the things that he's starting to do on the pitch. You know, he's really, really expressing himself as a player and he looks like he has that hunger and um, looks really, really happy. And he's been, you know, he's been, a, a, he has been their key player. I mean, uh, to, be, to be quite honest, without him, I don't think they would find themselves where they are on the table. I think they, they would have struggled a little bit more, but he's, he's the one that's gotten them the goals. Um, out of nothing. We will talk about the crowd trouble a little bit later on, but I think Stewie sums up those involved quite nicely. Four, yeah. five, six gobshites. Absolute yeah. gobshites. And you have to also, you know, I wouldn't say commend the others, but the, the, most of the both supporters, Robert supporters, I would know, are, are looking at this going, look at these idiots. Yeah, yeah. Goals had dried up for Cork City up until recently, but last week they drew 2 all away in Galway. And then during the week in the League Cup, they beat Waterford United 7 0 at Turner's Cross, all seven coming in the second half. Marco Sullivan has returned to scoring form, but Sean Maguire is on a bit of a dry spell, having not netted since missing a penalty against Sligo. Manager John Caulfield doesn't seem all that worried. To be, to be fair, like he's 21 years of age and he's been phenomenal. I think the break through him and the fact he was with the Irish team away for 8 or 10 days and he just seemed to lose the momentum. And I think the penalty miss in Sligo knocked him a small bit. So... Um, you know, look, at he's a fantastic player. He offers an awful lot to the team and even though he didn't score tonight, you know, he was very, he was still very, very good and uh, I wouldn't have any fear about him. You know, he's a young lad. He just needs to run against one that'll go in the back and he's off and flying again and uh, the sooner the better. So I wouldn't have any fear with that. Cork City manager John Caulfield. By the way, if you haven't seen Shanahan's goal against Cork last week, please do check it out. You can see it on the Galway United website. Mark McNulty, the Cork goalkeeper, won't be too happy with the part he played. Uh, look, normally... He's very solid. He normally doesn't put a foot wrong, but uh, I think he'll put his hand up and say that uh, he made a bit of a clangor and Shanahan took full advantage. Now, for uh, Cork City this Friday night, it's Finn Harps at the cross. Of course, they play Rovers at the same venue on Monday night. Uh, the Dun- Donegal side are seventh at the moment, but to many people, they're still relegation favourites. Tony McNamee, their midfielder, says, while it's uh, tough at the top, it's certainly a lot more fun than it is in the first division. Well, being fair, it is probably a step up, but a lot of players now have proved that they were maybe playing in a division that didn't suit them. Like the first division is probably the hardest league to get out of because it's all physical. You're going maybe one week to 
Cove, mm. another week to Waterford, Wexford. It's the travelling's a lot worse than it is in the Premier Division. Like you've got the likes of you've you've your Derry, you've got Sligo, you've got Dundalk, and you've Galway, which is all this side of Dublin. Yeah. So also along with that, there you've got your what is it three or four teams in Dublin. Mm. So it's not actually the travelling's a lot easier, and and saying that there the pitches that you're playing on is a lot better. It's no dis- disrespect to the teams that's in the first division, but teams seem to take care of their pitches a lot more. People will say about Finn Park being a hard place to go because of the pitch and the surroundings and everything, but we have to make the most of that there. In the summertime, usually Finn Park actually is one of the better pitches in the country, and whenever that there happens, we actually, last year we got the ball down and played a bit, and results didn't go our way, but in saying that there, it's all about results at the minute, and any three points or any point that we gain is hopefully getting us a bit closer to staying up. Yeah. As most people will say, is if you were given the chance to stay up in a relegation playoff again, you would take it with open arms, and yeah. that's going to be the way it is until the end of the season for yeah. us. Caroline, the arse has ripped out of me trousers here. Thanks, Roddy. Thanks, Oshin, for rounding up the week's news. Hasn't been the brightest of weeks for the League of Ireland, mostly down to events at Dalymount Park on Friday night. That's true, but in the time we've had to assess, mm. I've had a deep think and a change in my mind. The Big Green is my favourite Steve Guttenberg movie. Guttenberg. Guttenberg. Really? There's Whatever. a decent shout to be had for Cocoon, to be honest with you as well. I think his performance in that is pretty decent. I think everyone's performance in that was pretty decent. It Especially was. the old people who Wilf- really, really had me convinced that they were old people. Wilford Brimley uh, is one of those who is the star of the long forgotten TV show Our House. In the middle of our street? Uh, that was the Madness version. I think they may have used the Crosby, Stills and Nash song as their theme tune. Something that will probably cut in now. Wow. See? How did you... How did you manage to do? I didn't even like you didn't even press a button, and I'm hearing the music behind me. It's almost as if mm-hmm. we recorded this no. and then came back later to edit and put it together. But, in the words of Pilot, but of course, we don't do that because this is live. In the words of late seventies, early eighties pop rock pioneers, Pilot, ho ho ho, it's magic. And let me guess, what? Ho ho ho, it's magic. How did you get the song so quick? That's amazing. Hockey's. Wow. Yeah. That is. That is, hotkeys, despite the fact that you don't have any keys in front of you, we're recording right now, or sorry, doing this show live right now. Mm. We're drifting. That is magic. We're drifting now, to be honest with you. We are, we're adrift. Um, Neil O'Reardon of the Irish Sun joins us now. Um, Neil, we will talk about um, what has gone on this week and what will go on in the next couple of days. Uh, But first, I see on the front of the Sun's pullout today, goals. Dundalk have been rocked by the news that Kieran Kilduff has suffered a suspected broken back. The striker is expected to be sidelined for at least two months after being forced off during Monday's EA Sports Cup defeat to his ex-club, St. Pat's. An X-ray appeared to show that he had fractured vertebrae and that he was uh, due to undergo further scans to confirm Uh, the diagnosis we're not sure how serious the injury is we know it will put him out for a period of time and it is a big big loss to Dundalk it is yeah he was um, an important signing for him in the the middle of last season he he came off the bench and scored in his debut against Bray and I think uh, in all he's got uh, 8 goals and 10 starts and 10 sub-appearances in the league for Dundalk so he's been a regular scorer um, to lose him for a period of time I mean I know that he's gone for that he's gone for that other scan I'm not sure the results of that but certainly 
Stephen Kenny was resigned to be without him for a period of time. The only thing I would say is that they did manage without him for the first half of last season. David McMillan was their only out-and-out striker for the um, for the first maybe four or five months of the season, and they did fine without him. But obviously, if anything happens to McMillan now, they're in real trouble because the two other young strikers um, are currently injured too. There's Kieran O'Connor. He broke his foot a couple of weeks ago against Longford. And his younger brother, Michael, who played quite well against Pats on Monday, he got a bang to the head and was kept in hospital overnight with suspect a concussion, and that means he won't be able to train for a week, so he's uh, unavailable for Friday. So Macmillan is really their only their only available striker against Rovers. Do we know how the injury to Kilduff actually came about, Neil? No, I, I, was, at, I was at the game myself. I'll be honest, though, I was kind of doing a roundup of all the games that night, mm. and I missed the particular incident. Um, it didn't seem particularly, uh, he didn't seem in a great deal of discomfort afterwards. Uh, maybe he's just in a high pain threshold. I did see him after the game just coming out of the treatment room and he was, seemed to be walking a little awkwardly, but uh, I wouldn't have thought it was uh, as bad as it appears to be. The onus is really on the uh, the Dundalk midfield and the likes of Ronan Finn to provide goals. That, and I, I, we hate saying this, the spectre of Richie Tell still looms large over a side that's still top of the league and still performing rather well and still managing to put teams away. But the onus on the likes of Ronan Finn now to step up to the plate really is being called into uh, the four. Yeah, uh, like, like you said, they've been doing okay. I, mean, I think they've actually scored two more goals in the league this year compared to, to last year. Um, they've racked up a couple of big wins against uh, St. Pat's and Longford 4-0 in each of them. And Fian has already matched his goals tally of five for, for last year. And they, in fairness to Dundalk, they have adapted. Like two years ago, Pat Hoban was their top scorer. He left. They didn't really replace him. But then Richie Terrell obviously scored a lot more goals than he had the previous season. And now it is kind of Fian who's stepping up to the mark. Um, so they, they have shown an ability to adapt. But obviously this, the, the big concern for them is that if anything was to happen to Macmillan, um, like even if Michael O'Connor is back next week, he is only 17 He's never played. Uh, that Monday was the biggest game he's ever played in. You, you couldn't rely on him, and you're, you're looking at going to the summer without without a sort of any sort of senior striker, which would be a disaster for them. It's a weird kind of week, isn't it, Neil? Because we've had a raft of EA Sports Cup games. Dundalk lost at home to St. Pat's. That's a, another loss at home this season. Of course, they were beaten by Cork City there as well in the league. Uh, Shamrock Rovers added to their fantastic win against Bowles last Friday night, beating them 4-0 by beating Athlone 3-0. So they've scored seven and two games uh, on their way to Friday's match. Before we get to Friday's match, though, um, like what... How much should we look at the EA Sports Cup games and the performances and what do you think the managers will take out of them? Because for Dundalk and Pats, they actually feel relatively strong 11s in both games. They did, although that's probably an indication of their the strength of death in their squad because there were quite a lot of changes. Um, I, I wouldn't read a whole lot into Dundalk's defeat. Uh, they had 26 efforts on goal, I think, compared to 5, 5% Pats. They were utterly dominant. They just came across not one but two keepers in fine form because Pat Jennings when he came on for Brendan Clark was it was every bit as good. But you know they they could have won that game really by a hatful. Um, so I wouldn't read too much into that for Rovers. I think they made eleven changes from Friday. So you know it's not really a form guide going into Friday. Like it's the I think I think the team who got the most out of the EA Sports Cup this week was Cork City that they they won seven nil again. You know, it's against the first division side, a lot of changes made, but considering they had drawn their three games and beaten Dundalk, they kind of needed a, a confidence building game and they got that on Monday night. Who's walking the taller of the two sides heading into the game in Tala on Friday night? Because obviously enough, we had Shamrock Rovers thrashing bows, uh, the other issues of that game set aside to one, for one moment, but also Dundalk 
they beat Sligo, but it was hardly convincing. Yeah, I guess Rovers, you know, like you're, well, it was their biggest league win in 52 years over Bowes, you know, so um, if you're not going to feel confident out of that, you never will. But, like, again, it was kind of a strange game. First half, Bowes were the better side. Um, you know, they got that goal just before half time, got another one just after the break, and uh, that was kind of it. And, you know, they, they did show a lot of conviction in their play and some really sort of clinical finishing thereafter. Um, but, you know, up till the 44th minute, there really was nothing in it. And uh, But the way the second hand panned out, then, then of course they're going to feel good about themselves. Um, you know, the Dock are, are top of the league uh, by a couple of points. So it is kind of weird. Like, you know, we're, we're sort of asking these questions. You know, they've they've lost four out of 11 competitive games this year compared to two out of 47. But, you know, we're talking competitive, but they're President's Cup, Leicester Senior Cup, League Cup, and then, you know, one in the league against Cork. So it's, by no means a crisis or anything anything like that. Um, they are winning games just as they were last year. They've they've lost a couple in in minor competitions, which will, you know, not be a huge concern. Um, I, I think it'll be a good, a good battle. You know, Macmillan played really well in the the game against uh, against Rovers and Tala early on in last season when you know Dundalk were really really dominant. Then Gary Rogers uh, got sent off and they ended up in a two all draw. So if Macmillan can play like he did in that game, then you know I'm sure Dundalk would be confident of getting a result. A lot of stuff going on around Rovers this week, given what happened last Friday night against Bohemians. Uh, obviously, they have a busy week themselves on the pitch, you know, playing Dundalk this Friday night, then going away to Cork City on Monday night. But um, Neil, if I can just ask you, this is not the first time that we saw this kind of thing happen in League of Ireland. And it's certainly not the first time we've seen it when Bowes and Rovers collide. How do you think it's handled by and large by the clubs and the FAI and I appreciate I'm asking you this while we're awaiting a, a further hearing at, on today Wednesday while we re- record this podcast uh, but like do they do enough or statements enough or you know should or could more be done well I think more can be done in terms of banning supporters but there is an issue that some people do come out of the woodwork just for this fixture and cause trouble who aren't ordinarily there so it's kind of difficult to ban somebody who isn't generally there anyway. Um, Pat Fennan made a, an interesting point on after the game. He just said, listen, there has to be made a criminal offence to approach onto the pitch. That's the way it is in Britain. And it acts, acts as a deterrent and that's not here. But clubs are fined if there is even a, a minor encroachment in terms of uh, somebody not looking to antagonise, but in cases of goal celebrations, for instance, if there happens to be yeah, a breach of the clubs, cordons there, clubs do get fined for that as well. Clubs are fined, but it's very difficult to pass that get that message across to individuals, you know, that the clubs are suffering, but, um, you know, it's, unless it's hitting individuals in the pocket or affecting them specifically, then that can be an issue. The, the only problem uh, with making pitch encroachment a criminal offence, as it was pointed out to me, was uh, you would have, like, every GA supporter in the country with a criminal record. <laughs> um, if if Waterford win the All-Ireland this year, Neil, I can tell you the whole county would be arrested. <laughs> Exactly. Sadly, so we're a long, long way from that, though, Oshin. You know? <laughs> <laughs> but, like, the one thing I say about Daily Mount on Friday, too, there were a hell of a lot of cops there, you know, that it's been said that it costs as much to police a game between Bowes and Rovers as an All-Ireland final. There was no shortage of police in, inside the ground. They weren't hugely visible inside the ground until the trouble started. Now, you might argue it, it could be antagonistic, but it would appear to me that if you're going to have Gardaí there, and put them in a position where you can keep the two sets of fans away from each other, first of all, and secondly, off the pitch. 
you know, you had a steward. It was kind of comical at one point. He had he had one Bowes fan who'd run on the pitch in his grasp, and then another ran on, and you could see him momentarily wondering, which one do I like, go for here? Stick, yeah, should he stick to his man or track the runner? <laughs> and uh, you know, like they're, yeah. they're they're a guardy inside the ground, so I don't understand why they weren't closer at hand to try and uh, stop the trouble. You know, I mean, you had. In fairness, the Bulls president, Matt Devaney, taking a very hands-on role. He was literally in amongst everything there. Some exactly, yeah, shoving yeah. people aside. He didn't quite go whole Brian Clough and start clocking people, but he was <laughs> Would have been within his rights, I think, Neil, to be fair. Yeah, I don't think anyone would have blamed him. Um, but it's just, it's just grim. It's like it's grim for Bowes in this particular instance. But for any League of Ireland club, you know, you get your biggest game of the season and, you know, whatever extra money you've brought in and probably some more is just going to disappear now in the fine. Neil, just before we let you go, I want to go back to Cork City playing Finn Harps on Friday night and then Shamrock Rovers on Monday night. It might be a silly question at this stage of the year, but could it be season-defining? They're After seven games on 12 points, they're already a good distance behind Dundalk. Granted, with the game in hand, they're already uh, seven points behind Dundalk. So how important is this week? How defining is it? It, it is very important because, they, you know, the... The thing that was thrown out at Cork for the last three seasons was they couldn't beat Dundalk. Then they beat them in the President's Cup, well and good, but you know, let's do it in the league. They did that, and then they draw their next three games. So that's six points dropped, and it just more than negates the sort of the, the lift they got from beating Dundalk. Um, a couple of things in their favour this week. I think they're going to be playing against two tired sides. Finn Harps had uh, extra time in Galway on Tuesday night. You know, back up to Donegal from from Galway on Tuesday night down to Cork on Friday. That's going to take its toll, and you know, Harps are a more formidable side on their their home pitch, which by all accounts is a bit of a disaster than they are on the travels. Um, on Monday, you're going to have a Rover side who will have had four games in the space of ten or eleven days. One of them, the most recent, them at home to Dundalk, and that's it's a, whatever about producing the results on Friday. For Rovers to produce two big results in the space of seventy-two hours against two of the top sides, I think is probably asking a bit too much. So. It's there for Cork, um, you know, if they, if they can come away with six points, which, you know, should be an ambition of theirs, then, then that would be huge for them going forward. OK, Neil O'Reardon of the Irish Sun, thanks for joining us on the SSE Electricity League podcast here on News Talk. No worries, thank you. It's intermission time. We're happy to have you with us tonight and hope you'll come back often. Neil O'Reardon there of the Irish Sun. You can check out the goals pull out every Wednesday in the Irish Sun. Other daily newspapers and League of Ireland supplements are, of course, available. But this is the only podcast you should bother your hole with. What we have to talk about here, which was events at Dalyman Park on Friday night. Yeah. Uh, our very own Raf Diallo of News Talks Team 33 joins us because Raf yeah. was there. I was there, yes, as everything kicked off in the literal sense. First, firstly, though, we'll talk about the match. Yes. Because from pure footballing sense, this was Shamrock Rovers' best performance of the season. It and they put it, they cleanly, especially in the second half at least, put away a fairly underwhelming both side. Yeah, sure. Uh, Rovers, when you look overall, they definitely dominated the game. But first half, Bowes had two really good chances. Had either of those gone mm. in, we're talking about a completely different game. One of them was Buckley, who kind of, his shot wasn't powerful enough. Goalkeeper got down and, got, and you know, stopped it. And then Akinade, who... 
I guess isn't among the most prolific strikers in the league. Uh, well, he did okay last year. We yeah, he did figures. okay. But I, I, whenever I have watched him over the over the years, um, I kind of feel maybe there's more there. He looks stranded on his own out there. He looks like yeah. there's far too much asked of him, which is a support role that Mark Wrigley should, really should be playing. I yeah, suppose, but for uh, he he also kind of he missed a chance which uh, Simon Madden blocked, and had either of those two chances gone in, we're talking about a completely different game because Bowes were on top early on, even though it was still a, quite a scrappy game. Second half, of course, completely changed. But I think the key moment was Larkin Fitzgerald down in the corner with a, a not the smartest tackle in the world. Agricultural, I think we'd call it. <laughs> industrial, I prefer. Being from Leitrim, I prefer the, uh, second, the term industrial being used. Hold on a second, hold on a second, hold on a second. I grew up around farms. I didn't see farmers going in with two-footed tackles exactly. ever in my life. So why are you using the term agricultural? Just because George Hamilton says it sometimes. Don't Listen, don't be generalising the farmers don't go in with two-footed tackles. Not when they're going the about their daily... Have you ever tried to tackle a cow? Anyway, an industrial challenge from Fitzgerald uh, on Simon Madden, uh, just down in the corner. Mm -hmm. um, Free kick is uh, is floated in, bounces around, McCabe fires it in. Mm. And that changes the game completely. Bowes Bowes don't really come back into it. Brandon Mila then kind of steps up, scores a second. He was excellent. Yeah, Yeah, he had a really, really good game. Uh, He was kind of floating in that kind of inside left channel. I thought he might start more centrally but he seemed to kind of almost dominate the game from that side of the pitch we heard it earlier on Stewie really singled out McCabe for praise and he has said that he is driving Rovers on this season he nearly went as far as saying he's kind of dragging them through yeah he was excellent and uh, first goal again well taken as well I mean maybe there was a possibility he might have laid it off but he just uh, went straight for it straight into the corner and uh, along with Mila you know dominated that game okay now what about the trouble yeah, um, I was kind of I was watching the game unfold, and then just out of the corner of my eye, I saw a Bose fan. I think this is what's later been shown on video, mm. kind of going in front of the Rovers' end, um, and then pretty much dancing in front of them. And of course, they're not going to just stand there pleasantly, um, even though the, you know people shouldn't be reacting to this the kind va- of stuff. To be fair, the vast majority. No, the vast majority, majority yeah. looked at him and, and laughed or sneered yeah, or whatever yeah. else. Yeah, very like we're talking about a minority from both sides that actually ended up on the pitch throwing punches and scuffling. Like that's what we're talking about. The vast majority, like you could even hear it from the stands, like where I was kind of sitting, people just kind of giving out of that stupidity that was kind of going on. Yeah. But it was just that one fan who pretty much started it, and then it just, <laughs> I suppose, it exploded. Yeah. And then the riot police kind of got involved at that point. And the danger with these things is that people react to it without having seen it and they react a couple of days later and they're yeah. not aware of the full picture. How do you think the reaction has been to this? I mean, how would you, as someone who was there, uh, judge it? Has it gone overboard? Has it gone underboard? You know, where is it in your view? Well, I suppose, like I was listening to Stewie on Off the Ball last night and he kind of touched on it. I think he he like, he like had the right tone for it as well. I think, as he said, it was a load of, you know, well, I'm not going to say the word, but, you know, uh, some idiots, basically, who... Uh, you know, started this and that's where the focus should be. Like, it's not a question of, uh, you know, hammering down on either set of both fans, like, if you know what I mean. You've got to focus down. It's a small group from both sides. But I think I, uh, actually just on that, I heard your argument as well last night in terms of the positioning. And I think what Dan was talking about that as well, the positioning of where both sets of fans are. Um, uh, you were, I think, saying the Rovers fans were over, used to be over at the other the end. Rovers of the Rovers fans yeah, would be the on the Connacht side, which is, which is the stand opposite the Jody, which is the main stand at yeah. Dunyman Park. So they would be, there would be there's a football no pitch between yeah. them. There's no, there's opportunity, no opportunity to, to run meet, over, yeah. Unless they're coming together out in the street outside, which is a separate issue, yeah. I suppose, and one for the, the public order unit and the guards. But inside, 
they can be stewarded better and there is that gap there's only half of the school end as it were being used behind the goal but even still for a couple of supporters to get over as far as they did is a major stewarding issue and one that needs to be addressed and I know will be and I know the people within the club are embarrassed to the degree that and this is something Neil O'Reardon pointed out earlier on on the podcast Matt Devaney was the club president literally out on the pitch shoving people back in telling them to cop themselves on and this is ultimately going to lead to fines but I I was looking into this elsewhere I was asking somebody who was previously involved at board level for another club, completely separate to, to these either, two, yeah. um, and just asking about the policing and the what this can kind of, the impact this can kind of have on on a different club. He says each Premier League club has a guard liaison. Uh, Bows and Rovers are likely going to be treated as greater quote unquote threats to other clubs hosting them, so they're likely going to need extra guardy to have games. So this is going to cost other clubs policing because yeah. they're going to have to shell out to have more guards in and around the grounds. Uh, they want more stewards to cover the risks as well. And by the same token, the return bill for the guards, uh, for Rovers, Atala, etc., is likely to be astronomical. So this has knock-on effects, not only for the clubs involved, but also for other clubs in the league. And ultimately, I feel, and I say this as a Bow supporter, I'm deeply embarrassed by what happened on Friday night because yeah, it, it is a minority, but I think it was uh, Paddy Kavanagh tweeted, oh, well, this is what it takes to get us on the news. Because ordinarily where the league wouldn't be covered and people wouldn't bother the whole, even looking in, they wouldn't yeah. listen to this podcast, they mightn't even pay attention to the results yeah. when they're on the news. They see a couple of morons scrapping on the side of the pitch and that's how the entire league is painted yeah. for them, which yeah, is you, really grim. You just want to go back to being embarrassed by what's going on out in the pitch as a both. Happily. Time, it's been a brutal season so far <laughs> for us and I'd likely, I, well, I'd prefer to concentrate on that. No, it has. They had, they've, they've not been a great side. They've we'll, we'll, we'll come to that later. Inconsistent. Inconsistent, but yeah. I don't think they're going to get much traction this year. But anyway, that's a side note. Yeah, look... Uh, it's impossible to enforce bans on these people as well. The they're not going to be back. And I yeah. will not call them fans. Some of them will be back, but like there are high profile cases from other sports. There was one a couple of years ago where a guy invaded the pitch in Limerick for an All-Ireland semi-final. He was supposed to be banned for a year. Yeah. A couple of weeks later, I saw him in the middle of the pitch signing autographs and getting selfies. And this guy was easily identifiable. A lot of these people yeah. who do this kind of thing aren't. So I do feel a lot of sympathy for the clubs and Rovers and Bowls Look, I'm a Cork City fan, but they are great institutions, well, the, great clubs, by and large, great people follow them. Well, the cultures are different. It's yeah. Any pitch incursion in soccer, and this isn't just an Irish thing, is yeah. viewed as an, a, an intense negative, no matter what way it's done, whether it's celebrating uh, the winning goal that saves you from relegation or whether it's, you know, goading other supporters. It's viewed as a negative. And across here, at least... Yeah. Uh, Clubs are fined if that happens, if there are uh, uh, supporters on the pitch celebrating. Ditto as well. People deserve to be fined and punished for this kind of thing as well. Um, the unfortunate thing is, is that this is just how the league's going to be viewed in some people's eyes. Yeah, there was another incident as well, which hasn't been talked about, but it was very, very minor. It just happened in the tunnel afterwards. Keith Long was doing, I think, the in-house channel, um, or at least the video channel yeah, that they're going to yeah. put up later on. They do fantastic video, by the way, Bulls. They do, yeah. Um, he just done the uh, the main TV channel in this country, and then he was doing that channel. Uh, and Irish TV. You can't even name them. Can't even name them. UTV Ireland. Yeah, um, and uh, there was a there, there was he a, just done his interview <laughs> with uh, Des Curran for Air Comedy there was, Weekly. There was a uh, there, there was a sound of a scuffle outside, basically. But what was actually happening was a fan, a Rovers fan, um, okay, yeah. was being brought in. Uh, for his own protection, I think he, I don't know what he was still doing in the ground at this mm-hmm. point, but he, anyway, he was being brought in, and just as uh, he was being brought into the players' lounge, I don't know if you've either of you've been in yeah. that side yeah. of it, but uh, 
uh, Long was just finishing his interview and then your man basically swears at him said something F bows basically um, classy yeah and uh, you know was dragged in and the guards followed in shortly afterwards as well so you know that it, okay that's quite minor but at the same time like that stuff you don't really want to see and it's just the stupidity of somebody going up to the Bowes manager and it's or gener- whatever manager it's the, it's the general stupidity yeah. of it is what really really irritates me it's that in their own minds that this is achieving something and that this well in what he did yeah. achieve he incited a few Bose fans on the way in basically because they weren't you know he obviously angered but them. you know what I mean in terms of this is them this is their way of supporting the club and this is their way of, of showing the, of, of showing of the love of the club. Yeah. that's what I mean it is it's perverse it's bizarre and it just can't happen it can't go on and it can't be tolerated would you not say that these people will just find a way to make trouble regardless this is a good excuse for them let them do it somewhere else you know, there's no reason to drag the clubs down into it. Like, if they want to cause trouble somewhere else and somewhere so, else, let the, let the authorities yeah. deal with them wherever they may be. But for them to tie it into football and this notion of being I'd say they kind of struggle to tell you the top scorer in the team at the moment, these people. They, they just, struggle to name three members they, of the squad. They just, Never mind they, the just, top scorer. they just tie themselves to football because it's an easy way to do it. It's, yeah. it's like, it, it's, you know, it, it always kind of reminds me of the angry fan you hear on the side of the pitch be it in GA or football that they one think, voice yeah they think it's okay to do this because it's a sporting event and it's not real life they think it's okay to hurl abuse at players be they paid or not paid they think it's okay to shout really horrible stuff while there might be kids around well, I remember and one, they just have yeah. a different mentality because they think it's it's sport it's not real life it doesn't count and that's ridiculous That's that lesson needs to be taught and if you get people early then you have a chance of teaching them that but if you get them if you try and get that message across to the guys who did this stuff on Friday night, then it's too late. It, you've lost that generation. What you need to do now is look and say, right, how do we stop this stuff from repeating? We're several minutes deep into a League of Ireland podcast, so the chances of us coming across your casual fan or somebody who may or may not go to a game in the future and trying to convince them that everything's hunky-dory and this is a minority incident, I mean, that's past and there's no point in doing that here. We'll just say that we hope it doesn't turn more people away and we hope that you know people can do their own part to prevent it this shouldn't. from happening in the future. Uh, anyway, based on any game, and I, I I can't really count how many I've been to, but o- over 50 or whatever that I've covered uh, over the last couple, two or three years, mm. I have, this is the first time I've seen anything like this uh, at any level. So, mm. you know, it's it's quite rare. Like it's it, Generally, they're quite yeah. family-friendly, bar the odd maybe ch- chance that have a bit of bad words in there yeah. for, the, for the young kids. But they're going to hear that if they watch... Oh TV yeah, football, and they're they're going to see it if they go to a game in England yeah. as well. You just, look, it's just one of the unavoidable things about sport. You just have to be a bit smart about it. Yeah, indeed. Raf, thanks so much uh, for coming in this afternoon and sharing your thoughts and your experiences. Uh, yes. thing. I hope this has acted as uh, decent therapy for yourself for a Friday night. Yeah, it's uh, all out of my system. I think now. I think it has myself as well, to be honest with you. But we turn to happier events, and this man's face has just brightened up hugely. We're talking about Waterford United, and the reason why we're celebrating their thirty sixth. Um, anniversary for the FAI Cup win is because they've never really capitalised on all the things they have going for them yes they had a lot of success in the 60s and 70s but to people of my generation they're just a yo-yo club who are sometimes in the Premier Division but more often than not in the First Division haven't really built on the resources that they have around them and they're now stuck in the First Division last Friday beaten 4-1 by Shelburne this week in the EA Sports Cup beaten 7-0 by Cork City they had a team of kids out in that game so that's why we're thinking about Waterford United as well as the fact that you know it's the 36th anniversary 
of their FAI Cup final win. 36. St. Pat's. They've been in a Cup final since they lost it, but yeah, 36. Special anniversary, obviously. Um, so Matt Keane of WLRFM is the voice of football in Waterford. Uh, he has been reporting on football for literally longer than I've been around, and he's always been WLRFM's football man. And if ever you want to talk about Waterford football, you're best off going to him. First, though, Let's go back to 1980 with the help of George Hamilton and his uh, pre-match report. Uh, also, one of Waterford's two goals in the cup final, as commentated on by Jimmy McGee. Why, Jimmy? Uh, but starting with the misery of 1979 and Waterford's cup loss to Dundalk. And Keeley, any port in this particular storm will do. Carlisle back to Hustle Jackson, bundling off the ball. And there's the number two. And that's is the dagger to the heart of the Waterford resistance. I've been waiting such a long time Looking out for you, but you're not here But now we're going to take a look at soccer in detail and what must count as the day of the year in the soccer calendar. And whether you like it or not, the FAI Cup final and the deciding match of the League of Ireland Championship both kick off tomorrow afternoon, 80 miles apart, one in Dalymount Park, and together at St. Mel's Park in Athlone, where Limerick United will need just one point to win for themselves the 1979-80 League of Ireland Championship when they play against Athlone Town. But it's to Daly Mount Park that uh, we turn our attention first as we now look ahead to the FAI Cup Final for 1980, St. Patrick's Athletic against Waterford. What's another year for someone who's getting used to being Matt Keane, football correspondent with WLR FM. We've just heard some of the clips from the time, shall we say. George Hamilton with his fine Mary, mane of brown stroke dark hair. What would you say, Richie Brown? Or dark? I think it was just dark. It's hard to dark. tell with the old clips. Very, very hard to tell. Videotype and all that. Exactly, yeah. Anyway, we just uh, heard that the, one of the winning goals for Waterford United. They scored two, but sadly I could only find one. And uh, we heard also the goals from the year before when they lost to Dundalk in the cup final. Uh, Matt Key, Waterford had um, a bit of an issue with the cup up till 1980. No problem with the league, but certainly with the cup. You might uh, you might tell us more. Yeah, it was way back in 1937, to the best of my knowledge, when they, they, they won it the first time to beat St. James's Gate in the, in the final. And, uh, you know, the particular year that we actually won at 1980, sort of a mid-table team, uh, we were never really going to challenge for the league. And it was the same the previous year, 79, when we lost to uh, Dundalk. But uh, when Tommy Jackson uh, came in, yeah, something about the cup. Now, to get to the cup final in two years in a row was absolutely fantastic. We were all devastated, of course, 79 when we lost to uh, Dundalk. But that incredible day against St. Patrick's O'Shea, we never forget it. The likes of Peter Thomas, Brian Gardner, Tony Dunphy, Eamon Cody, Mick Madigan, Sid Wallace, Larry Murray, Paul Kirk, Vinnie McCarthy. You know, they were a, a smashing team. And uh, what a game Larry Murray had that day. It was absolutely brilliant. He pinged over that free kick and Brian Gardner, you know, as sweet as a nut, uh, put the ball into the back of the net. And really, it shouldn't have been a free at all, because uh, Larry Murray uh, we were all screaming play the advantage rule but the referee gave the free but it worked out okay at the end I saw a report from the time and it might have been John Phelan or one of his teammates uh, said well the reason we haven't won the cup 
is luck. We got a bit of luck. Would you agree with him uh, with that statement? Yeah, you wouldn't, DJ. Yeah, good, good teams win the league, and you know, so I suppose lucky teams to a certain degree uh, can uh, go on and uh, win the cup. But Brent Garner got the winner, of course. I want an awful lot of people don't remember in round three he scored a winner against Athlone Town, and everybody kind of forgot about that particular goal. But Brent Gardner uh, got the winner that day, a header uh, also. So he's in football uh, folklore uh, down around here in Warford, as indeed is uh, Sid Wallace and those kind of people, Oshin. Matt, give us a sense of cup final day in 1980 what's it like and indeed 1979 travelling up to Daily Mount for the oh, big day it was what? incredible yeah it was incredible Richie because you know that was the days when you had the old paper hat you're probably too young to remember what oh, the no, paper I, I, I'm, I'm there I remember the Matt do you remember them? yeah 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 I don't remember the after the Dundalk game it absolutely lashed down and we had blue and white dye all over our faces and everything and I know I remember because we actually missed the train home and we actually got a lift uh, would you believe it in a roadstone lorry myself and two other guys and he said I'll give you a lift back home but you have to do a job for me he said what's the job there was a roadstone lorry come the other way so we had to unload all the bricks onto the lorry and bring it back down to water <laughs> so we were absolutely in bits our hands were in, in bits and everything so we made sure uh, the following year for the pass game we went up on the Saturday night uh, and we stayed in a hotel I think, was that the year Bucks Fizz won the Eurovision 1980 was Johnny Logan I think Johnny Logan was it yeah, and the reason I the say that the reason I say that is because I, I actually only am doing this item because of Timmy Ryan now for people who don't know Timmy Ryan he's a bit of a radio icon in Waterford he's been doing um, breakfast on WLR for as long as I can remember okay. and he's a massive massive blues fan I mean every morning growing up he'd find some way of working Waterford United into the show even if it was off season and he put it up on Facebook today and it was liked by Shea Searson he's his former WLR colleague and they were actually you know talking about the goal and everything so that's that's why I remember it and of course Shea being the music man he is linked Johnny Logan to it all Well that was it Jay we actually watched that uh it was incredible. We, we didn't come back onto the Monday, but so they came down with the team, which was fantastic, and the thousands and thousands of people lining the bridge and the quay and onto the mall for people who would know uh, Warford. It was just absolutely incredible. And they were on the back of an old uh, truck, and the truck kind of fell asunder, so they had to replace the truck before they came over because it was falling apart. <laughs> you didn't have to load it up with rocks or anything afterwards, did you? No, we didn't. No, we didn't. Uh, oh, gee, well, the celebration, of course, went on and on and on. And uh, those lads are just, you know, and it's hard to believe we haven't won the cup since. It's absolutely incredible. We haven't even gone near uh, winning the cup. We won the League Cup in 82 already, but that was basically it. And, uh, you know, the problems that's ongoing here at the moment with uh, the chairman stepping down and everything on Friday before the draw of the game. So, you know. It's not, it's not good times at the moment, so it's great to talk about the great old times, uh, guys. Yeah, and I hate to keep it blue, so to speak, but um, one of the reasons we called you is because we wanted to talk about Waterford United and how far they have fallen, because obviously that cup win was 36 years ago this week. They've been a yo-yo club Premier League-wise ever since. They've got to a cup final in 2004 and were beaten by, by Longford, but that was the fashion of the early 2000s to be beaten by Longford in a cup final. Um, but they've been in rag order the last couple of years Matt now the, the, the thing I would say or the way I would look at it is that you know they, they've still been able to produce players over the last couple of years Daryl Murphy and Shawnee Maguire both coming through Waterford United but with the emergence of Wexford Hughes their grip on the South East may go and if that goes it's hard to see a future for them because if they haven't taken advantage of the fact that they're in a big urban area and they're the only club in the area over the last couple of years especially since Kilkenny City went then you know, you'd worry what would happen as, as Wexford Hughes grow. 
You probably alluded to it there. I made a good point about the 2004 Cup final. I'm genuinely believed that was the famous Cup final where there was two balls on the pitch and our defenders ran for the wrong ball. And, you know, the pandemonium that day up there in uh, Lansdowne Road, the defence ran after the, long, the, the wrong ball and uh, Alan Kirby, former Warford player, of course, took the ball into the net. And, you know, since 2004... We really haven't really got going at all, you know. We we just can't get out of the first division. Managers have come and gone at an alarming rate. It's incredible, and yet at the underage structure, we have a fantastic under seventeen team, and we have a, a reasonable under nineteen team. But we just can't get out of that first division. And players and managers come and go. Uh, Roddy Collins is trying to work his article here at the moment. But I mean, even as we speak, uh, there's an important meeting between the club board members and members of the FEI, Frank Gavin, and I can't think of the other chap name Leahy is it a Fahey Richard Fahey I think you know to see what's going to happen after Friday when John O'Sullivan the chairman steps aside so trouble trouble times again but we never actually recovered had we won the 2004 cup final I think the entire uh, club would have taken a completely different direction Matt um, just on the question of the management at the moment we have seen in the past couple of weeks and we spoke at length on on this podcast about him uh, Kenny Shields for instance up at Derry City he's the kind of manager who rolls the sleeves up, gets involved in the culture of the city, the culture of the club itself. How is Roddy perceived down in Waterford? Well, Roddy's a kind of a, you know, he's a love-hate kind of a type of character. Either love him or you hate him, I think. But I'd say by and large, you know, 85% of the supporters have great time for him. But he's been trying to play cards with the hand he's been uh, dealt with very very little finances he had a centre half Willow McDonough lined up Willow uh, ha- ha- unfortunately had a car crash so we haven't had a centre half uh, all season but he has brought in some good players like uh, David O'Leary excellent player indeed and uh, Philly Gorman who will score goals for fun in the first division so i say Richie by and large 85% of the people are fully uh, behind uh, Roddy Collins at the moment and you know there's unfortunate a six match ban for an article that he wrote in the Irish Daily Star and then he tried to appeal it and he sent a cheque rather than a bank draft and that kind of thing so the the appeal was thrown out on the technicality but it's very very harsh I think Has that kind of galvanised the the opinion Six match ban like is is absolute crazy Well has that kind of galvanised the support for him down there I suppose Oh it did yeah Yeah. it really did yeah and uh, absolutely Richie it did yeah and an awful lot of people feel he was uh, very very hard uh, done by he has four matches served but he has another two to do Mm. but I mean I mean, it's crazy, isn't it? He won third of the season sitting up in the stand and can't even make contact uh, with Aaron O'Callaghan, who is his uh, first-team coach. Now, last week, they lost 4-1 at home to Shelburne, then during the week in the EA Sports Cup. Despite being scoreless at half-time, they went down to win 7-0. Are those defeats that you think uh, this young Waterford team can recover from? It's the Shelburne one that worry me. Uh, I actually predicted 7 or 8-0 because of the amount of under-19 players went down to Turner's Cross, and there was a lot of changes made at half-time. The Shelburne one was very, very disappointing. James English got a hat-trick for Shelburne. He looked an excellent player, but he was given the freedom of the RSC, and I was Speaking about Roddy Collins uh, this morning, he's worried about the amount of goals the league. We don't really have a, a major problem compared to other years scoring, but at the back, every time uh, the opposition attack, they look like they're going to score. So the warning in times, uh, especially the Shelburne game, to concede uh, for at home. And then, of course, the week previous, we were up in uh, Athlone, leading 3-0, had a player sent off. I had to settle for a three-all draw, but you just don't give away, you know, four goals in one game and three game uh, goals in another game. It's going to cost you at the end of the day. On a slightly positive note, it is something of a basket case of a league, the First Division this year, given how far away Limerick have 
already run with it. I mean, they're 10 points clear of the nearest challengers, UCD and Cove. And coming up this Friday, Drogheda visit the RSC, just two points ahead of Waterford. And between second and the bottom, there is just seven points at the minute. So there is a case that if a side like Waterford could go on a run, they could find themselves in the mix for a playoff spot behind Limerick at the end of the season. Oh, absolutely. No, no doubt about it. As, you know, we, we've lost three home league, or, or three, uh, home league games. We've lost to Limerick, Cove and Shelburne. That's still only four points of second or third place, which uh, it, it shouldn't happen at that. But I mean, there's only eight teams in it. Uh, and as you said, uh, Richie, there's only seven teams in it because Limerick are going to be mm. home and hose by the midterm break in June. So, you know, they, they can do whatever they, ever they like. But, you know, if you can't string a few wins together of war for could uh, be Drogheda on Friday. Uh, they'll be right in the back of the mix. They won't get anything the, the following week because they're down in Limerick. But then, you know, there's a few winnable games coming up and you could be in the playoff places and that will, you know, ensure a reasonably good crowd at the RSC on, on Friday nights if we're in the top three. But if you're down around, you know, middle place or near, near the end like we were all last season, you know, it's, it's, it's not much point in carrying on, really. Just before we let you go, Matt, I mean, as long as I've been listening to you on WLR, which is all my life, I've been listening to you talk about Waterford struggling off the pitch. By the sounds of it, that's happening now again. But, but, but the difference is, is maybe they've got structures right in an underage sense and bringing players through. Is is it different now? Do you think there's actually a structure set up that these guys can come through? And that's something that has never really happened before. There's always been a strong soccer scene in Waterford. There's always been good players, but... Waterford United never really benefited from that. Do you think they can benefit from that? I think the they series? can, yeah, because, you know, as, as I said earlier on, the under-17 teams are a lovely team. Yeah. They were excellent last year in the so-called short season, and they've got off to a great start again in the long season, which is currently underway. Uh, the under-19 team, uh, the, the, some good individuals there, but there is a structure there. When you look at the facilities here now at the RSC, yeah. you've got the three massive uh, pitches at the back, and then you've got the main pitching. You have everything. You have Carrigan Orr here in Warford. Everything is set up for, for, for the lads, and you know, there there is some star players uh, coming through. Uh, Leo Connor uh, is the recent uh, player now. He's at the signer for uh, Manchester United. I know he, he was playing with the Villa. He played on the uh, Irish under-17 team there a while back. So uh, we're still producing them uh, down here. But so many players that went on to make a name for themselves, like the Jim Beglins and the John O'Shea's and the Stephen Hunts and the Noel Hunts, never actually played for Warford. Played with the school by uh, clubs down here. I went over straight to their clubs, be it Wolves, Manchester United, you know, Chelsea, whatever it was, Oshin. So hopefully now, if Warford United can uh, start producing the players at under-17 and, uh, and 19, and then they go across channel, you know, it could be a different story. But, you know, heretofore and down through the years, the players that I just mentioned never actually played with Warford straight from their uh, school by our youth club uh, across channel. And that, that can't be right. So hopefully that structure is in place now. Matt Keane of WLRFM in Waterford. Thanks for joining us on News Talks SSE Airtricity League podcast. Pleasure, lads. And thank you, Matt. A fantastic uh, insight into a great chapter uh, into the history of Waterford United. And I suppose of the league when it was a far more egalitarian competition, I'd say, when you would have the likes of Waterford. And it wouldn't be unusual for it's them to be challenging for a very big word for a League of Ireland fan. Well, there you go. I'm trying to prove that not all That was more like rugby because, of course, they all went to private schools. Toffs. They did. I didn't. Uh, Steve Guttenberg, by the way. Yes. Uh, I've just been looking this up in the course of the last minutes that this has lasted on this podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's currently working on Two Lava, Two Lantula, which is the uh, follow-up, the sequel, if you will, to Lava Lantula, which was the 2015 Cotton West directed uh, TV movie, which I think was on the Sci-Fi Network. And he was always on, he's also in a movie last year called Running on Empathy. Because it's a play on words for running on 
empty. I, I think his peak in the last couple of years was the Poseidon Adventure TV remake. Not the one with um, the actor whose name I can never remember. You're not a fan really of the cool. movie Affluenza? Um, I'm a fan, a fan of, the, of the name. He's been a fan of the pun words, our pun uh, titles, isn't he? Yeah. Bless you, Steve Guttenberg. A yeah. great man. No longer with us, of course. In a career sense. Yeah, he's still alive. <laughs> Technically. You know, not by his, um, not judging by his movie choices. But we're not sure. Remember, for what that I remember a time when Steve Guttenberg used to read the scripts before he accepted them. <laughs> now he's just like, work class. <laughs> exactly. A position in which I found myself in two years ago. Hence, we shall dwell on that. Hence, hence we're here. Hence we're we're here and what a great endeavor this is for everybody concerned uh, thank you very much for your time for listening of course this week and we will be back with more Electricity League goodness next week when hopefully we won't be talking about more trouble but a lot of great games coming up this weekend yes Cork City against Finn Harps on Friday night Derry City taking on Bohemians and Wexford Youths up against Galway in the first division at Lone Town play Cabin Teeley. UCD play the runaway leaders Nimerick and Waterford United who we've just spent a good chunk of time talking about take on Drogheda the standout fixture fixture obviously is Shamrock Rovers against Dundalk it's live on TV uh, but we're also going to go along to the game and check it out on Saturday by the way on the seaside Bray take on St. Pat's that one kicks off at 7.30 while Sligo Rovers host Longford Town in the first division speaking of the seaside Cove Ramblers take on Shelburne three nice venues there actually Bray, Sligo and Cove in the Premier Division on Monday ruined by the cross now Cork City take on Shamrock Rovers huge game and a huge week for Rovers to be fair and indeed for Cork as you mentioned to Neil uh, it's could well be season defining for them tipped Massive, by so yeah. many to win the league including by myself and it's gone pear-shaped with three draws in a row it has if you fancy working Wednesday morning I could go to that game just saying Tuesday morning sorry just saying just keep saying. the production Listen, meetings for off air next no, time no, and no pressure I'm, I'm, I would never put pressure on you on air while we're on air it's not it's, we can edit this out it's, damn it I forgot that anyway as always if we didn't mention your club in detail tonight it's because you awful we minnows. don't rate you you're not important enough for us to talk about and, re- and the refs hate you too. <laughs> That's clear. Especially that guy who's refing your game on Friday night on Saturday. Exactly. Or Monday. Uh, uh, at O'Shea Langan is how you can get in contact with me. At Richie McCormick is me and we'll talk to you next week. Who holds back the electric car? Who makes Take the shove their sight Who rigs every Oscar night We do